you could tell one really good four minute story about something that you've been through in your life that was hard or sad or that you learned a lesson or was funny or embarrassing or something like that, and you just tell it so well, then, you know, naturally other people are going to be like, oh, yeah, man, like that reminds me of this one time. And as soon as that happens, as soon as that like, that reminds me of this one time in my life, your life, my life, there's a connection there. Boom. There's so much potential there. And so I think most people come to Story Night and they're like, I don't know what story I'm going to tell. And I'm like, just show up. You're going to figure it out. And so it's the same ideas for giving advice to other people or something. It's like, just, you know, tell stories from your life. It's like all of us have lived interesting lives. Even if you don't think you have, like you for sure, like humanity is interesting. Like being a freaking human on this planet is inherently like really weird and funny and hard. And so all of us go through it, no matter where we come from. And so for that reason, it's just just learn how to tell like a couple of really good stories and then just tell it to people and see what happens. Hey, friends, this is your host, Cesar Romero, and you're listening to Beyond the Job Title Podcast the show that explores the human experiences that shape our professional and personal lives. My guest for this episode is my good old friend, Zach Horvath, the founder of the lifestyle brand Live a Great Story, which focuses on inspiring and empowering people to live their best lives. I consider Zach to be a great friend and an amazing human, and he was generous enough to carve out time to catch up while traveling through Turkey. And in this episode, we discuss Zach's most recent travel experiences and the differences between cultures, especially when it comes to work. Zach's decision-making framework to push through uncertainty, the origins of Livergrade's story and Zach's first entrepreneurial business, the power of creativity and storytelling as a way to connect with other people, and so much more. If you're someone that is looking to get inspired by the power of creativity, storytelling, and building relationships, then this episode is for you. Thank you so much for joining, and I hope you enjoyed this episode. Let's start with where you are now. Like, how do you get there? What what prompted this, your most recent travel project? I saw on your Instagram, traveling until I'm done. What was the spark and what have been some of the most impactful stories that you have collected? Maybe one that, that stands out. So I think that this trip, I've now been traveling for about four months. And this trip started because I, when the idea for this trip came up, I was thinking about there's like travel and about 10 years ago, I took a trip that had a huge impact on my life. And I was like, oh, wow, this is like a decade later. Live a Great Story was born out of this trip a decade ago, now I'm like circling back to it. And there was like a very distinct moment where I was like, okay, I cannot go on this trip. And the reasons not to go on this trip are bouncing. Like there's so many excuses, so many logical, qualified reasons. I got to grow the business. It's better to stay at home, family, routine, all of these very justified reasons. And then I asked myself a question that I've asked myself a lot is if I was 80 or 85 looking back on my life, how would I feel about this decision? And when I thought about that, I immediately knew what the right answer was. And I was like, I got to go on this trip because I'm going to regret this if I don't go on this trip. 
And what's really cool is not long after making this decision to go, I was with my grandparents and telling them about this trip. And my 85-year-old grandfather was like, man, I so wish I could have done that when I was your age. Mm-hmm. And it was like, like, I got chills thinking about that just now because it was really like such a confirmation of going on this trip and being able to do it for a lot of different reasons. I'm turned 33 like last week or something. Actually a month ago now, who knows time. <laughs> I just like knew that this was the be- the thing to do. And I like, understood that this was like an opportunity that probably wasn't going to come again and would most like knowing how much of an impact it had 10 years ago and being like, okay, mm-hmm. like I took a seven month trip 10 years ago. Like what would another seven month trip do for the next 10 years of my life? I was like, man, let's try this out. Now it's been four months and like undoubtedly has had a ripple effect of impact on my life already in so many different ways. And now I think right now today in the last like week or so, I've been reflecting on, okay, like what is the last four months done? And like, where does that put me now? And I've started coming to some answers about what's next and how to keep this trip going and apply some of the lessons and apply some of the learnings for continuing this trip and then also amplifying the career and business and life side. So that's like the exciting part of all of it is a lot of life has happened and every day is an adventure, like seriously. <laughs> yeah. So I'm like, okay, let me- I followed you. I followed you on Instagram and it's been exciting to see your adventures and the moments that you're collecting, the stories that you're collecting. It just, you're becoming a story billionaire because you're collecting all these moments that when you get to 85 by your grandpa, you're going to have a million stories to share. And that alone right there, it's something worth doing. I'm curious, anything that stands out to you in terms of maybe someone you met that shifted your perspective about how we do things here in the U.S. or I know that your trip to Vietnam, you went to some because I I've been to Vietnam and but the way you did Vietnam, I'm like, oh my God, that is very rugged. So I'm just curious throughout your travels there, if there's anything that stood out to you. Yeah, I think I mean, there's been a, a lot of conversations. So I think especially have been traveling recently with hostels and staying with people from all around the world and having these conversations about life with people from so many different backgrounds. There, it's literally daily that I'm having, what is it like to live in your country? And what is it like to live in my country? And so there's this repeated self-analysis of of life that's changing. So has there been any singular one? I think there's been a lot of, I'm sure there has, and I can probably think of some, but there's been some themes that have come up, cyclical themes. and. I think for me, the one of the biggest ones is just how much people in the U.S. work and how much not only work at their job, but like how important it is for people to like how much pressure and societal, like a foundational element of the U.S. culture is like work and work and work. And you have to work and you have to like always be moving forward in your career. You always have to be focused on growing your money and that money is always going to be super important. So you got to work more to make more money. And it's just like people in the U.S. work 
so much. And I see it with my friends. Like I, I talk to people and I, I'm like, a lot of people follow me. So they see like a lot of my life and then we have conversations and I just see like how this permeation happens of the U.S. work culture that doesn't really exist in other places. A lot of places have to work and especially here in Turkey right now, like inflation's really bad and it's, things are really intense financially. But just like how people think of like work is a really interesting thing that I've just been reflecting on. And it's had a, for sure had an impact on how I think about work and what is my like, you know, the grind culture and entrepreneurship, especially and this vision of where I was going. And I see a lot of people going is something that I'm like starting to reevaluate and, and I already have a good perspective of work, I thought, right. And now I'm like even more like softening the edges of that and rounding it out. So I think, yeah, that's the first thing that pops into mind. And that's come from all angles, right? From hanging out in Indonesia and seeing how people live in Indonesia and even, yeah, like how people think about or like how people like literally work in Vietnam. You know, there's like a stall and this dude sells scissors and he just sits in his stall all day and sells scissors. Maybe he sells one scissor a day, who knows? But that's his job is he just sells scissors. But it's not like he's there all day, every day, but it's not like he wants to be there and has to be there to sell. So, it's, it's, so things like that, like just lots of micro instances of perceiving how people live and their relationship to work has definitely changed my perspective. Yeah, absolutely. And he, that person that sells scissors, they're probably the happiest living a simple life where here in the U.S. people get overwhelmed with choices, right? And it wasn't until not too long ago, where if you were born into a particular trade, most likely you were going to follow the footsteps of your dad, right, into that particular trade. But now it's like we, we have options. And I think a lot of times that cripples people in terms of what do I do now, trying to figure out what to do next. You mentioned work. What, do, what does work mean to you? That's a great question. It's changed so much for me too, like even before this trip, right? I think there was this kind of sweet spot of time, I would say from maybe like 2015 to 2020, where there was this, for me, there was that time and probably for a lot of people, but it was like, like the follow your passion time, right? And it's like, be really passionate about what you do and build a business around your passion. And then I think that there was a shift probably around... 2021, right? Whatever, like COVID times where I think for me, it's like, be maybe like you shouldn't probably make your passion your work, right? And like there, there can be elements of that. And some people obviously do. I think I definitely have, have the opportunity to do something I'm really passionate about, but it's not like necessarily the best way to do it. <laughs> Unless you have a really sweet spot of alignment between your passion, and your work, and the revenue from your work and the monetization and the work-life balance and all these different things that are super important, then I think that there's an opportunity to find some sort of career that satisfies a certain amount of your life. It doesn't have to be 100%. It's not going to give you everything. But if you can just work with good people, enjoy the work that you do, be challenged, be compensated well, and not have work detract from your life so much that you can't have something else on the side that can also contribute to your life, then I think that there's some sort of mix there of work and passion and monetization and 
not like pedal to the metal. There's so much more that happens outside of work and life, right? And it's like people mm-hmm. live for the weekends or whatever. Is, and so much of our culture does that or they don't even have weekends like a lot of people. So it's I think that the U.S. is just it's always just consumer based and spending based. And it's like, man, if you can just like scale that back a little bit, buy less stuff, spend, like work a little less, be a little bit more frugal and focus on collecting experiences in your life. I think that there's some sort of mix there that interjects into the equation of what it means to work. Sometimes we confuse and we think that we have to make our passion our work and our work our passion, but there's something to, it's okay to have a passion outside of work, right? It's okay to have work to pay the bills. And then maybe you have a passion project that fulfills you, right? And that could be a podcast, it could be art, it could be painting, writing. Like it doesn't have to be that thing they're passionate about. Not, doesn't necessarily have to be the thing that makes you mud, right? But people get confused with that. And there's a lot of layoffs, right, happening this year. And while it sucks, I also think it's an opportunity for people to, to pause, to take a step back and to reevaluate and what am I doing, right? It's, some people probably are, they weren't even happy with their job. I'm one of those people, if we're being honest, got laid off in October, still on the hunt, but it's been a blessing in disguise because it's taking, I've taken that time to reflect, to, to be with my family, start this podcast. And crazy enough, Zach, I've never been happier. You know what I mean? It's it's weird how this works. And I want to go back in time here to that moment, to that fork on the road where you decided to start Live a Great Story. And not only started, like you, you embody all the values of what it means to live a great story, align your passions, your values. What was the moment like for you? What was the catalyst that made you say, you know what, the corporate path is not for me, the job, typical job path is not for me. I'm going to do this thing or die trying. <laughs> Bro, there was not necessarily one time that happened, but it's probably happened infinite amounts of time. That decision, <laughs> that fork in the road has been chosen so many times. And even before Live a Great Story. So I started my first entrepreneurial venture, let's quote that, selling <laughs> t-shirts in high school Hey, that uh, when I was like 16 or something, 16, 17, I think, 16, yeah. And that was a total accident. And I... What do you mean by, by accident? Like it just happened? I was always a rebel. I always did my own thing and I always blazed my own trail. It's like since the beginning of time, like I have <laughs> memories from... I don't know, six or seven years old that I like saw everybody do this. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to go this way. So there's something there that's genetic or so- somewhere in my family history or whatever. So I think that has some sort of something to do with entrepreneurship. But when I was, yeah, when I, so having that kind of upbringing and inherent energy to like create and be independent definitely like traits of an entrepreneur. I was also really creative. So I was always drawing and like writing and creative. And so my first business and was not even like necessarily a business, but I always used to sign my signature all the time. So starting in when I was 
I guess probably 13 years old. I started my signature evolved from when I could first write all the way into about 13. And I settled on a signature that I've had ever since then. And this is really cool, like cursive, artistic, Z, H combination. And I drew it everywhere. Every class, I was always drawing it. So I have, I still have these binder separators. You remember these like folders that have the <laughs> blue and the red and the green? Like I have those still in like a trunk that are covered in, in my signature in all different colors and shapes and designs. And I signed all my papers like that. I would draw it on the whiteboards and the chalkboards all around school. So everybody knew that this was me. And some t- one day someone's like, bro, you should put that on a shirt. I would buy it. And I was like, cool. So I like digitized the art back in 2000, like <laughs> or something, sat down with someone, somehow digitized it and put on a shirt and started selling shirts. And I think I did over the course of three or four years, I made maybe 12 designs of these shirts. So probably somewhere between three and 500 shirts that I sold. And, and that's, that was my first business. And so ever since then, I was like, something about that excited me. And it was the creativity. It was the autonomy. It was the, obviously the revenue side, but it wasn't really like profit driven. It was more like it was fulfilling something inside of me. And so ever since then, I've been on my entrepreneurial journey. So I've started a lot of different things. And so when you're asking about this like fork in the road of did I, what happened when this happened and with Live a Great Story, there had been like six or seven iterations of different blogs and event businesses or art businesses or like different things that I had done before that from about 16 to 24, I guess is when Live a Great Story started or 23. And so it had taken like a lot of trial and error and a lot of like experience to get to this point where then Live a Great Story hit. And I was like, okay, something's here. Like, I can't ignore this. Yeah. It's so inspiring because you only see the tip of the iceberg, right? Like all these creative projects, all these pivots that you've made, you don't talk about them. They, they really get the light. People only see it once you've made it, but it's important to talk about this because most likely if you start something, you're going to pivot, right? Because you're going to try things, you're going to experiment, see what works, see what doesn't, or maybe you tried it and that's it. That's the whole project, just trying, but pivoting is important. And has there ever been a time where you felt like you could not share your art and your creativity? What, what was that environment like? I'm assuming your parents were always like, hey, yeah, just be yourself, be creative. Or yeah, I'm just curious because a lot of people, they have this creative need, but they don't find a vehicle or the environment to put it out there and they become, they settle. So I'm just curious, what was that environment for you growing up? I would say that I've never had an external impact on limiting my creativity. So definitely parents always supported it. And I always had that kind of inner drive to create and draw and express myself. And even in private school, when I was like in sixth and seventh grade, where we had a uniform and you couldn't wear whatever you wanted to wear, I was like still expressing my creativity. So I was (laughs) like the one that somehow figured out a way. Everybody had these same kind of boring brown shoes. I'm going to have a different, cooler brown shoe. I'm going to still fit in this box that the school made me fit into, but I'm going to fit into it differently. I was drawing on my shoes in, you know, sixth grade. I have all, I 
maybe still have these, some of them at least, where I like drew on my basketball shoes. I was like creatively, I was cutting them up. I was cutting up clothes. So I've always had this like creative expression that really nobody was going to externally limit. Now, right now, I'm at a really interesting point where I'm trying to, it's not an external limitation. It's a little bit of an internal limitation of, I'm still expressing myself creatively, but I don't necessarily have a goal for it. And so it's a weird place that you follow me on social and you see what I'm like writing and photoing mm-hmm. and in my stories and like content like that. But that's like such limited value add that I'm, and I just feel like a little bit handcuffed or uncertain or probably a little bit overwhelmed with what I can do and the opportunity that it's not necessarily limiting my creativity, but it's energizing my creativity because I don't, I can create with, and I am doing it. I wrote something for the first time the other day. Like I have, I'm editing like a 10 minute YouTube video. That's like a compilation of this trip that I did. It's like a vlog, this really cool vlog. So I'm like creating, but I'm like, what am I doing with this? Like, why is this Who's watching this? Do they care? Do I want them to care? Is it like a vanity thing for me to be like, look at me, I'm traveling the world? Or can I like add value to people? Can I share my learnings? And like, why am I doing all of this stuff? And I shoot so much content. I fly the drone all the time. I can have the ability, I have the mics, I have the camera gear, I have everything to create. And I just, but I'm just like, what am I doing with it? And so I think other people that might be in a similar position that are trying to like understand this for themselves. I think that for me, the way that I'm handling is just shipping stuff. I don't know. I don't really have a game plan. I don't have a a roadmap, like not following any sort of guidelines, but I'm just like, just do it, dude. Put it out there. I published something like this kind of, I wrote something and I put it on Instagram and it didn't do very well, but I liked it. I'm like, I don't care if it doesn't do it well, whatever I ship. I was like, I like, and I have such an archive of drafts that I'm like, I I like have to share this stuff. And so I think for people that are like, not sure about their creativity, I think everybody has, everybody's creative, right? I think everybody Mm -hmm. has the opportunity to have their own worldview. They have their own experiences. They have their own art, whatever that means. And it's just go for it and just ship it. And who cares if no one likes it? It doesn't matter. Yeah. My friend the other day, I met her traveling and she's, she was like, Hey, like my business is turning one years old and I want to do an event at the hostel. And how do I do that? And I was like, well, first things first, remember that you're a badass. This is literally what I told her. I was like, you're a badass. You're doing really cool stuff. You have a great heart. It doesn't matter what people like it, it like that's enough. Like have the self-confidence in yourself to remember that. And then I was like, organize whatever you're going to do. And for me, what I always think is no one cares and no one's going to show up. And I just set this baseline of zero. And I'm like, no one's, no one cares about this. It's my thing. And no one's going to show up. No one's going to read this. No one's going to click on it. No one's going to like it. No one's going to comment. It's okay. If no one does, that's fine. But I'm going to ship it anyway. And then when one person comments or one person likes, then you get a win. And I try to approach a lot of things like that because it's then you're not like, you don't have expectations or like these external metrics for like success is no man i just created my art and put it out there and like people doesn't matter if people like it or not like i liked it i shipped it i feel good let's do it again oh man i want to come back to this but a couple things i want to say first it's very inspiring because most people are on the inaction 
in where they read books, they take courses, they prepare to do the thing, but never do the thing. And you are on the opposite side, just shipping, taking action. And I think that's how you learn, right? By, by putting things out there. And even if no one reads it, even if no one likes it, you're getting that out of your system. You're creating something and putting it into the world. And it's very inspiring, man, because most people don't do that. And what you said about who cares if nobody likes it? Who cares if no one reads it? That is so true, right? It takes all the pressure off. Yeah. I mean, it's, then it's pure. It's pure. And it's just you and the canvas, whatever the canvas is for anybody. And it's, that's all it should be. And I think Tyler, the creator was on stage the other day saying something like this. And he was like, just forget about the metrics, just make your art. And I think that this is why it's important to separate the profitability of your art versus the creativity of your art. Because if you have to make money off of it, then you fall into this trap of looking what other people want and what they buy and what they click on and stuff like that. And so when you rely on that, then you lose some of the, you can lose some of the authenticity of it. And so I think the people, yeah, like when you can create in a vacuum and it's, I had this analogy that I think about a lot that I always try to understand for myself. Like, am, is Zach an entrepreneur or is Zach an artist? Hmm. Because I like creating stuff. I'm not, like I am capitalistic and I like selling stuff and obviously like the business has to make money, but that's not what drives me. So like making those shirts in high school was not what drove me. Painting on my shoes was not what, I wasn't trying to sell them. So I had this like inherent artisticness where you could be an artist and never sell a piece of art. You cannot be an entrepreneur and never sell your widget. To be an entrepreneur, to be a business person, is in, there's an inherent commerce element to it. Whereas artistically, you need zero commerce to be it. And maybe eventually it happens, but you can be an artist and never sell anything in your life, right? And so there's this contradiction there that I kind of balance all the time. It's like I happen to make some stuff that people buy and I, and people like, and people support and things like that. But it's, I don't know, like, it's like a weird one. So I, but I think there's a cool overlap of entrepreneurship and art being an artist. That's a really amazing sweet spot to find, but it's almost better to not try to find that from the beginning and separate those things so that you can just be an artist, like a pure artist and find your money somewhere else and just pour into your art and like fuel that fire versus trying to siphon off business money to fuel your art. Before we start recording, we were talking about where you are at this stage where you're trying to figure out what's next for Limiter Story. You're thinking about growth and removing yourself from the operational and being more strategic. And I'm wondering if this idea, this need is coming from Zach, the creator, or Zach, the entrepreneur, that's maybe you're getting some sort of pressure from the capitalistic society, right? Like bigger, it's better, more money. And I'm just curious about why do you want to take that next step with Liverpool's story in terms of growth and making it bigger business-wise? 
That's a very good question. And I think there's a couple pieces here. So thank you for asking. And I'm going to ramble a little bit to piece my answer together. <laughs> there's one very new element of this idea of growing live a great story so that I don't have to work as hard. So if I can put the right people into the right places and let the business, let other people grow the business, then mm. I don't have to work as hard and I can only work at what I want to do and what I do really well and be more of an artist that contributes to a business rather than be a business person trying to like force maybe some business skills, but not like the business skills that will take Live a Great Story to the next level. So I want to work less and I want to do better work at what I'm really good at. I love, I wrote this down the other day, like I want to practice more of the like lion mentality, right? Where the lion doesn't hunt all day, every day. The lion chills, hangs out in the sun and plays with his cubs and hangs out with his lioness. And then every once in a while, he just freaking turns it on and goes full speed and massacres whatever he needs to and brings home the meat. And then he feasts and chills, right? And I want more of that in my life. Whereas I didn't think I'd really, I had that kind of built into my life a little bit, but I just focused way too much on being like a full speed lion. And I think that now traveling and seeing how other people live in other parts of the world and understanding more of this, I've now have a better understanding of yeah, I'm like not trying to work my whole life. <laughs> Most definitely not. Luckily, I have work that really fulfills me, but so much of it also doesn't fulfill me. Like, it's not like I love all the pieces of Live a Great Story. And I'm like, especially now I took a two-week break. I basically didn't touch my computer for two weeks. And now I'm having to crank up on momentum in certain areas that I'm like, dude, I suck at this. <laughs> this is really hard and I don't enjoy this. Whereas before it was easy. But now I'm like, this is not my thing. And I'm like, how can I get someone else to do this who is their thing? So that's where I am with it, where it's like partially an artistic side. And then from the business capitalistic side, it's a live a great story can do so much more for the world with me not running the ship. Like I'm 100% the reason a live a great story isn't the me in soul control and holding on too tight is for sure the reason that live a great story hasn't grown to the opportunity that it has and to the capability. So letting go of that and letting someone else who can do a better job of that's like the capitalistic side or I'm like, dude, this should be such a bigger business than it is. And I see other people, I'm like, dude, we could do I could totally be doing that. Live a great story could be eating these people's lunch. But I'm the one that's holding it back. So it's a little bit of a personal thing. It's a little bit of I've used my superpowers as much as possible to get to where it is. And now it's okay, how can this go to even bigger and better? And that's like me just like being more of a lion. First of all, self-awareness is key, right? And it sounds like you have become self-aware in terms of what are your strengths, what are your good at, what you enjoy in terms of living a story and running the business and why you don't enjoy. And I went to Tony Robbins event once because once is enough. <laughs> but in that event, he talked about Trying to get someone who is the operator of the business that is the opposite of you in terms of strengths, right? In this case, maybe someone that's more into the business side and operations. 
and giving this person stake in the company, right? Whatever, whatever percentage that is 20%, 30%. And having this person be that quarterback that just runs with it and you are there, you're still the owner, majority owner, and you have your creative input, but this person is the one just um, scoring for you. And I thought that was a very simple strategy, but finding this person, essentially, that's the most difficult part because there has to be so much trust. So that, that might take time, but I think you're, I think you're onto something here. And in terms of the story, yeah, there's so much potential. And when it became clear to me, I've been following you for years. I remember when you did that campaign where you launched this, I believe it was like a journal exercise, which a live a great story guide. Yeah. The biggest, dude. The biggest failure of live a great story. <laughs> oh no, I, I bought it and I was like, man, this is cool. I wish I would have done this. Lost so much money on that thing, dude. Well, I'm happy that I contributed to less losing, <laughs> but it was such a good idea, but just, yeah, anyway. But that's part of it, right? You launch things, they don't work and you have to be okay with that because you launched it and now it becomes a story that you can share with others. But when it became clear to me most recently is when you organized the first story night in Austin, Texas, and even before that, when you did this conference at this house. And I saw the power of living a story of connection. And I think, especially this day and age where loneliness is becoming this epidemic that apparently is in this, at the same level of chronic disease, anxiety, depression, diabetes. And I think living a story can contribute to reducing that loneliness effect, right? And there's so much power there. So I'm all about Livergrid's story. I have the sticker on my computer. I have the flags in the closet because that's all we have, man. At the end of the day, who doesn't want to live a great story? And the power of it is that we control our own story, right? Like you, you're not telling everybody what their story should be, but you're inspiring people on how to tell their story, which that's where the power is. So yeah. How did that idea come about for story night? Because I thought that was very powerful. And it was like, all of a sudden, Zach is doing this story night and you, it was very scrappy, right? You put it together, you send the invites and I guess you use that mindset too, but Hey, whoever comes and we'll see. Yeah. So story night is now story time because the next one's going to be on a Sunday morning because we're switching it up. It's an experiment. Like that scrappiness that you're talking about, like I always would say social storytelling experiment because it would change every time, right? Change, you try it, you learn a little bit, you do the next thing and you just keep iterating. And so that was what story time is all about. And same, like story time came from the conference. It came from other conferences. We had these, called them like micro conferences, mini conferences, did them in San Diego, Philly, Austin, back in like 2016. So like these events where people are talking to each other, like story time is where you have small groups and things like that. That's been part of Livergrade's story since the beginning. And this was just the next iteration of it. And years of testing nailed it. There's a reason that story time happened. You came, other people came and they felt it and they were there and they're like, dude, 
this is it. And it wasn't like, it wasn't the first time. It was literally like the 50th time. Like I've hosted so many events through the years and so much just event like iterations. And so for story time to happen like that and then to host it on the boat, host it at the hostel, like it's crazy that like you had an all men's one. So I've done it for other people. So the kind of the energy there for it to hit is like, like something super special, but it didn't, it wasn't out of thin air. It was like, years of this and i'm like anybody can host a story time that's kind of the idea is like the formulas then but it took zach hundreds of hours of like being in front of people and like organizing things like this for to bake that formula just i love that and i want to ask you about both so that seems like a very unique space to host one of these but i was a live podcasting recording of my first million and they did it here in austin and it's interesting one one of the interesting things was i got introduced to the work of Nick Gray. And Nick Gray has this book called The Two-Hour Cocktail Party. And I just thought it, it was very powerful in the way that he approaches building relationships and hosting or re rebranding what it means to host a cocktail party. Like he, he really tries to have a balance between yeah, superficial conversations, but also go deep into one question, right? And have gr groups of four or six people, depending on how many attendees. So I thought that was one of the things that, that stood out to me. And also the power of live events where you can bring people into a room and it wasn't so much about the content, but about the people in the room and just seeing that successful people support each other. I saw Cody Sanchez, and if you know who she is, she's the founder of Contrarian Thinking, which is a newsletter for basically to learn how to buy businesses. But she was there and there's other entrepreneurs over there in the room. And I just saw that there's power in connection in relationships, in finding those people that want to see you succeed, which I think the story nights are a big component of that. People, man, it's like successful people, not successful people, travelers, old people, young people, like you get people together who want to meet other people and who believe in the power of community and supporting other people and like listening, just being an ear, then like really cool stuff happens. And that's at the core of story night. It's the core of live a great story. You just put on yep. a live a great story shirt, walk to the freaking supermarket. People are going to talk to you. And like that in itself has enough potential energy to lead to an amazing direction. doesn't always happen, but more often than not, the person that sees a live a great story shirt and the person that's wearing a live a great story shirt have something similar that creates the same energy as my first million or story night or whatever, a Nick Gray event. It's, it's just like you need a little bit of a spark. And I think that in general, live a great story just creates a lot of those sparks across the world. And then, you know, obviously through events or the podcast or different things, like tries to encourage other people to like believe in that spark and act on that spark. Yeah, and related to this, one of the questions that I have for you in terms of connecting and sharing your stories for people that might not feel comfortable with that, any other advice you would give them besides what you mentioned already? So the kind of the root of what Story Night is all about is when you share a story about your life, really any story, but a real story that you went through that you experienced and you that. Well, certainly they've gone through something similar or it touches them in a certain way that reminds them of another experience in their life. 
And with that, there's an opportunity to, because of that, there's an opportunity for everybody to share a story from their life. And so I think everybody has those stories. And that's why at Story Night, it's try to tell the stories, encourage people to tell stories that they've told a bunch because you can tell a really good four-minute story. If you could tell one really good four-minute story about something that you've been through in your life that was hard or sad or that you learned a lesson or was funny or embarrassing or something like that, and you just tell it so well, then you know naturally other people are going to be like, oh, yeah, man, like that reminds me of this one time. And as soon as that happens, as soon as that like, that reminds me of this one time in my life, your life, my life, there's a connection there boom, there's so much potential there. And so I think most people come to Story Night and they're like, I don't know what story I'm going to tell. And I'm like, just show up. You're going to figure it out. And so it's the same ideas for giving advice to other people or something. It's like, just, you know, tell stories from your life. Because like all of us have lived interesting lives. Even if you don't think you have, like you for sure, like humanity is interesting. <laughs> Being a freaking human on this planet is inherently like really weird and funny and hard. And so all of us go through it, no matter where we come from. And so for that reason, it's just just learn how to tell like a couple of really good stories and then just tell it to people and see what happens. And then also tell really bad stories. So it doesn't have to be a perfect story. I tell stories sometimes and I'm like, wow, that was a, I'm a storyteller and that was a horrible story. Like I had to like barely salvage that. <laughs> like the person was like falling asleep. Like you can tell that's how you learn. How do you, how do you measure a good story from a bad story? Do you measure it by the recipient's reaction? Or I'm just curious. Yeah, it's the engagement. I think mm. when people are nodding and they're leaning in and they're like their facial stuff, that's why I think, yeah, that's why it's really hard to tell something from like stage because you can't tell as well. But when you're <laughs> like in a small group of a couple people, then you can tell and you're like, oh, wow, like people are looking away. They're looking mm -hmm. at their feet. They're like, okay, this is a bad story. I need to wrap this up. So yeah, gauging by the feedback or response from other people is definitely like the only way to tell. You can't tell a, a bad story in your room by yourself. You're not going to be able to tell. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome, Zach. Well, I want to wrap it up with, by doing a, what I call it, rapid fire round. You know, where basically I'll ask you a question and then I'll, you, you give me your top of mind answer. You ready? Let's go. One, one book that has greatly influenced your life. Probably Tribes by Seth Godin was a book I read in mm. about 2010. So yeah, 13 years ago. And undoubtedly that book planted seeds for what Live a Great Story is. That's a great book. The OG Seth Godin. OG. Still relevant to this day. It's incredible. Dude's a legend. All right, next question. One of the most worthwhile investments that you've made when I say investment, it could be something physical, it could be a relationship, it could be an experience. First thing that comes to mind is travel, 100%. Book the trip, go by yourself to some place, stay at a hostel, sit at a restaurant by yourself, talk to strangers, push your limits, do it because it will change your life. And I don't think any financial investment measures the impact of what you can accomplish with a really authentic, amazing, difficult, deep dive of a trip where you put yourself into a hard position and 
Most people are scared to travel alone. Most people are all of that stuff. Is this country safe? What am I going to do? All that, just freaking go. Just get out there. Go as far as you can from your home. It will change your life. I second that as someone that has traveled quite a lot. Maybe not as much as you, but travel quite a lot. So next question. A quote that you think of and reflect often or a motto that you live your life by? Of course, live a great story. (laughs) Outside of that. (laughs) A lot of story related stuff. If your life was a book, would anybody read it? No risk, no story. That's just, that's something I've seen. I'm going to eventually make that into a shirt. I like all the adventurous stuff, like the fruit is out on the limb. I, I think about that a lot. Pressure makes diamonds. Things like that that are like, go for it. Quotes always yeah. get me. Fear is a compass. I don't know if that's an actual quote, but that's something I think about is whenever I'm scared of something, that's probably pointing in the direction I need to go. And then I really love that one. I think it's Theodore Roosevelt, like the man in the arena. That one's one of my favorites. Yeah, that's hits, man. It's like, I always, I'm like, I'd rather be on the court than in the stands with popcorn. Like, that's my, that's my shortened version of that very intense, long quote. I'm like, (laughs) like, I'm catch me shooting instead of being a critic. I love that. All right, next question. In the last year or six months, habit that you have developed that has improved your lifestyle or perhaps a, a mindset shift that has occurred. One thing that I have very much caught myself doing recently, especially traveling, is just very genuine smiles. Walking down the street, sometimes you like have your headphones in or head down, whatever. It's cold here, whatever it is. And I'm like, I catch myself not, and I just look up and I just smile like really big. And I just look at people and smile and it's just something I've been doing recently and it's, it's just really cool. I don't know. I mean, it's definitely something I've learned a long time ago. It's like whenever you walk into a room, if you just take a pause before you walk into a room where there's other people, like posture, book up, like smile, walk in confidently. Like there's a lot of psychology and behavioral science behind a lot of stuff. But I just have, have recently found myself doing it a bunch where it's like, because like, there's no, I hear no English on the streets here in Turkey right now. Like it's just, there's just literally no English. Like I can count like one, one table today spoke English that, and that's the only person I've heard speak English all day. And, and so anyway, because of those barriers, language barriers, you know, there's a lot of, you gotta have to compensate with body language and stuff. And so Mm -hmm. that's, I would say like a habit or some sort of practice that I've gotten a lot better at where it's, and it just makes me feel so good, man. I'm like, I'd like, I know it has an impact on other people. It has an impact on me. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that it, there's some sort of energy there that like ripples out when you like, just give a really good smile to somebody or like to yourself. It doesn't even have to be to any direct person. It's just smile out into the world and it'll do something cool. Yeah. It's so underrated, but it, it makes you appreciate body language so much. Awesome. Zach. Well, what's the one takeaway that you would love to share with our listeners in terms of in, the, in terms of life or, or their career, yeah, what will be your one advice or, or takeaway from the episode? It's really good to talk to people about this stuff because this has been a great conversation and having to formulate ideas on the fly. And I've been 
in my head or in my journal or whatever about a lot of this stuff in the last couple of weeks. And so I think I took a couple of months to like shake up the waters and now the waters are like settling a little bit. And so it's been cool to use a lot of the data that I've been gathering or like experience or introspection to now like formulate some stuff. And so I've been writing about it and yeah, no like that, but like now to talk about it, it's been really helpful, which is how we started this. That was like one takeaway is something I'm going to talk about is going to be helpful. And so it's been really good to when you, I think when you take something from your mind and you like release it onto the world and then there's someone else who can counter it or feedback, challenge it or whatever. And like that cycle of listening, talking, listening, thinking, talking, listening, thinking, talking is really good. So if anybody that's like trying to figure something out or do something new or build a new habit or change something, it's like go talk to some people about it and get some external feedback. It's, it's really helpful. So, and you've been really helpful. So thank you. <laughs> I'm happy to help. That's what I'm here for. And that's, that's good advice. Listen, talking, thinking. Isn't that what humans are about? So yeah, go talk to some people and see what you find out. Exactly. So thanks so much. I appreciate you making the time, especially on the other side of the world. So this has been an amazing conversation. Thanks so much for the opportunity. Thanks, bro. All right. I hope you enjoyed this episode and thank you so much for listening all the way through. I appreciate you and I hope that you got some valuable information that you can apply to your personal and professional life. If this story resonated with you and you would like to support the podcast, please make sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I appreciate you and I look forward to serving you in the next episode.